Last week we were packing our bags, now we're pulling out of the driveway. Not a whole lot of time in between the two. Uh, packing their bags was, were the ten plagues that God brought on Egypt to get them out. God told his people, be ready, um, you're going to get out of here. And get out of here they did. Um, they were kicked out of Egypt, carrying with them much of Egypt's treasures. Exodus chapter 14. God takes them. I'm gonna I'm gonna abbreviate some of this and then read a little bit of a text to you. I'm gonna read. I'm gonna start reading in verse uh, number ten. But before I do, let me just catch you up with what takes place um, after the Passover has happened. Egypt has uh, seen their firstborn die. All of God's people that had the blood of the spotless lamb across the doorposts, um, both the horizontal and vertical beam. Uh, were spared from uh, the angel of death that was going to come through as the final plague. And it brought, it brought Pharaoh to his knees. Uh, his, God's people left with much of the treasure of Egypt. And they, uh, the Bible tells us in chapter 13, beginning in verse 17, that God had two different directions he could have taken them. One was the longer route, which was through the Red Sea. The other route uh, would have been up through the Philistine, where the Philistines were. But God knew his people. He knew that they would see the Philistines. They would, there would be an opportunity for war right there. They would have to fight. And God knew his people. He knew their heart. He knew that a war that early on would cause his people to be afraid and turn around and run back to Egypt. And God had already invested so much and he was not going to lose his investment in his people. And he took them the other way to the Red Sea. This was a decision that confounded Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't understand it. In fact, beginning in chapter 14, Pharaoh says the wilderness has bewildered them, meaning they're lost. They don't even know where they're going. They don't know what's happening. So once Pharaoh realizes it appears they took the wrong way out and that they were penned in, Pharaoh's heart becomes hardened again, and he decides he's going to get them. So he gets his greatest chariots, his army together, and they start pursuing after the Israelites. He's going to bring them back. And they become very fearful. And that's where we pick up in chapter 14, verse 10. It says, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us out to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt so with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. If you've never heard that before through this series, you're going to hear it quite often. That is a common phrase of God's people. Anytime trouble or trial came, weren't we better off in Egypt? Verse 13, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord with which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and all his army and his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know 
that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Keep reading with me. And the angel of God, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them to behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near to the other all that night. So God is holding them back. Then Moses stretched his hand out over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went in the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning, watch, that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. He took off their wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians and on their chariots and their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. We're going to stop in verse 27. Do you ever wonder why it took the Egyptian army so long to realize we probably shouldn't be doing this? I mean, think about that for a minute. You're pursuing these people. They're pinned in. You think you've got them. And then all of a sudden, this pillar of cloud and fire moves around to the back to hold you back. That should have been clue number one. Okay? When you're being held back by this insane pillar of cloud and fire, you should have known then this probably isn't a good idea. But then... When the pillar of cloud and fire removes and you see on the other side of that God's people walking through a sea that is divided and it has become a wall to them on the left and right and they're walking on dry ground, that should have been clue number two. When you walked in it and you saw them get out, you should have known the trap was set, game over, okay? The fact that they even got in the water is remarkable to me that they would have pursued. That, that shows again not just the, le- the hardness of the leadership, that they were willing to pursue those people on command of Pharaoh up to that point. God used the Red Sea for really three things. And I want to be able to focus on those three things this morning. That as they're pulling out of the driveway, as they are now beginning their journey to the promised land, as God had said, they are now just literally backing out of the driveway and turning to go down the road. This is really their first step. And really one of the first things that's really obvious to us is that the Red Sea opened a door. That's the first thing I want you to see this morning was that the Red Sea was an open door. That was God saying, hey, I want you to know I'm going to make a way. The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah that God makes a way where there seems to be no way. He's able to make streams in the desert. The Bible reminds us that God delights in making ways where there really are not ways. He loves being able to astound us with His mercy, with His power. I want you to think about this for a moment. 
that God did what he did, not because the Egyptians or the Israelites were crying to him. Okay? They weren't hollering out saying, God, you really need to save us. God did ultimately what he did because he said he would. That's important to consider. God told his people over 400 years before that that he was going to save them. That they were going to be in bondage, but then he was going to bring them out with a mighty hand. So this entire journey, this entire, the plagues, the deliverer and Moses, the Red Sea crossing, all of that happened because God said it was going to happen. I don't know why that's up there. It happened because God said it was going to happen. You know, think about this with me for a moment. The Bible tells us what God is going to do. Think about this. It tells us what he's going to do, but it doesn't always tell us how. God told him that he was going to take them out of bondage. You know, here's the funny thing as far as believers go. We're the ones that get hung up on the how, don't we? When we're reading through the Bible and we're, we're faced with a promise from God's word and we know that God always keeps his promise and that God is going to be true to his word, what we do is we believe, well, God, you're going to do it and we can trust that and we can, we can wrap our mind, our hearts around that promise. But the thing that gets us sometimes is we don't know how and that's what we want to know. When we're struggling in life, it's not so much the, the what is God going to do, but the how is God going to make it happen. We get hung up on the details. We want all of the intricacies laid out in front of us. But I want to just, just paint this picture for you for a minute. Remember, I told you God told his people that he was going to bring them out. Okay? That was his promise. They could trust that. Let's pretend for just a moment that before those plagues started, that God's people are asking Moses, Moses, how's God going to do this? I mean, doesn't God know that we're just generation, four generations of slaves here? I mean, doesn't God know that this is the strongest, most powerful nation um, in the world at that time, definitely in that region? I mean, doesn't God know that the odds are really against us in doing this? So tell me, Moses, how is God going to do this? Can you imagine if God would have shared this story with him? Let's pretend that God tells Moses, Moses, here's what I want to do. And I want you, when the people ask, to tell them this. First, I'm going to start with a series of plagues. I'm going to turn water into blood. I'm going to bring flies, gnats, frogs, boils, disease, I'm going to rain down hail, fiery hail, onto the crops. I'm going to bring a plague of locusts that the world has never seen. And I'm going to cap off this whole thing with killing the firstborn of all the Egyptians. And if my people will just put blood on the doorposts of a perfect lamb, they will not die. And after that, Egypt will be desecrated. And Pharaoh will ask for his people to go. And then I'm going to take them out into the wilderness and I'm going to park them right beside the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh's going to come after him again. And then Moses, here's the big part. I'm going to take the waters and I'm going to part them. And my people are going to walk on dry land across the Red Sea. Can you imagine the looks that Moses would have given God, first of all? And secondly, can you imagine what they would have thought of Moses? Had God filled them in on the how he was going to accomplish it? You see, we want to know the how. But the truth of the matter is, 
if God really laid out the how he was going to do what he was going to do in our life, more than likely we wouldn't believe him. More than likely we wouldn't ever take that first step because it would sound so crazy and so remarkable. Yes, it is true. It is true that we are supposed to live by faith and I have to believe that it's some of that not knowing and some of the some of the darkness that we're able to be kept in and I mean darkness not in sin but in 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 a lack of knowledge and a lack of information you know there was a there's a friend of mine that's very very sick very sick he and his family are praying for a miracle and it will have absolutely have to be a miracle of God for him to be healed he's in the final very very final of the final stages of cancer He's got a loving family. He's got a lot to live for. Um, He's just so excited. He does not want to die, though he is a believer and he's ready to go. And his family has asked me to join them in praying for healing. And I I sat down the other day and it was in my office and I was just thinking about my friend. And and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to write him a card of encouragement. And and as I'm writing this card of encouragement, I know that they're wanting uh, to know that I'm praying for healing. So I wrote that in there. I am praying for a healing. But I also know that if I was on the other side of that, man, what, what would I want to hear? If I was the one that was going to open up that envelope and read something from a pastor, what would I want it to say? And all I felt I could say to them, in all honesty, was, you know what? In situations like these, I don't know the mind of God. But what I do know is His heart. You know, and if you think about it, I don't know God's plan. I don't know how God is going to work this out. I know that that man has a healing coming. You know, it may be down here or it may be up there, but he has a healing coming. That's for sure. That's a promise. He's going to get a new body. But you know what? In our life, if you think about it, we get hung up on wanting to know the mind of God. The Bible tells us how unsearchable are his ways, how unfathomable are his judgments. How can we really figure out the mind of God. If he was to tell us, we probably wouldn't believe it. It's so amazing. But those moments when we want to know what his mind is, I want to encourage you to rest in his heart. To say, God, I may not know and be able to understand. I may not even be able to believe what you're going to do. But what I can know, what I can trust, is that you are going to do something where I can't see your mind, where I can't understand your mind and your thoughts and your judgment and your plans. God, let me be enamored with your heart. Let me say, God, you are my Father, and you are always going to accomplish your purpose, and you're going to bring glory out of my life, even if I don't understand it. Even if it seems like I'm lost in the wilderness, God, you are going to make a way. What a a joy it is to know that God blesses people according to his word. God would have told them how he was going to do it. They never would have believed. It's oftentimes that unknown that will keep us moving forward one step at a time from glory to glory stepping stones along the journey you know it seems too often that the only space we give to god for our life the only space we give for god to work in our life like this is shortly after we stop breathing you know think about it we say god i know you've got a plan and I know you want to do some pretty awesome things. I know you've got a word and I know you bless those who who do your word. But sometimes we can live lives of such self-sufficient, of such 
self-sufficiency. We can live lives um, where we have our whole, all of our plans laid out to the point that we're not even giving God any availability to do something that he really wants to do. But in our minds, that space that we have carved out for God to do something, that we expect him to work, is that moment when we stop breathing. We expect God to pick up and pick us up there. We expect God to do the um, unimaginable. We expect God to somehow take our soul and usher it up to our glorious eternal inheritance. But yet we can trust God to take our invisible soul and usher it up to our glorious eternal existence. But yet we can't trust God to do something incredible, amazing in our life. God was moving his people Somewhere new. He knew his people. He knew what they were afraid of. And he moved them according to who they were. You know, sometimes in our life, we may have to go the long way. You know, we might have to, God may be taking us another direction because you know what? We may not be spiritually prepared or mature enough to be able to stand a harsh test too early in our life. But God knows He's our guide. The second thing I want you to see is that this brought glory to God. The Red Sea crossing opened a door and it brought glory to God. Two times I read in Exodus 14 that God said He would get glory over the Egyptians. Let me read verse 14, chapter 14, verse 18. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. I want you to see the contrast here with God's people. In chapter 15, how it begins. Then Moses and the children of Israel on the other side of the Red Sea sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider are thrown into the sea. I will sing to the Lord this song, for he has gloriously triumphed. It's one event. Two sides clearly marked opposite of each other. And yet it worked out perfectly that God would receive glory in his people. That they would be able to look back on the being on the, the safe side of the Red Sea beach, to be able to look back and to see those waters collapse and to know that God has saved us in a way that only He could save us. And to be able to know as Egyptians that your entire army, your greatest soldiers, your SEAL Team 6 was lying, crushed, at the bottom of the Red Sea. You see, God gets glory and honor and praise not just by blessing, not just by building up His people, but also by tearing down, gaining glory in His people, but on wickedness. It's impossible to exaggerate what God wants to do in our lives. Think about that phrase for a minute. It's impossible to exaggerate what God wants to do in our lives as we walk in His Word. 
impossible to exaggerate. I'm a pastor, guys. I live in hyperbole, okay? I love being able to take things to the furthest degree. But it is impossible for me to look out at you and exaggerate what God really wants to do in your life as you walk in obedience to his word. You know what? You you might be looking at me this morning. And you might be saying, God, man, pastor, that sounds exciting to see God's people standing there at the Red Sea. And to see God part those waters and you might say, pastor, I've never seen anything like that. You might say, pastor, I don't even expect to see anything quite like that. Well, let me tell you that 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 doesn't happen all the time. Okay. First of all, let me remind you that that may not happen. Those amazing moments may not happen because we might not find ourselves on the beach where God wants us to be. We might not be stepping out in faith. We might not be walking in obedience to his word. But I believe, I promise you, that when you and I are obedient to the word of God, when we are living the life that God has called us to live and seeking to honor him doing what is right, no matter if nobody else is doing it. When we are walking in obedience to His Word, I promise you, He will bless. He will part waters. He will change bitter waters into sweet. He will provide water from a rock. He will make clothes that don't wear out. He will provide food from heaven in His own way. I can't always tell you how He's going to do it, but I can tell you that He will. He always blesses his children as they walk in obedience to their father there should be no no reason why any of us should look back over years of walking years of of being a christian and say it's boring the bible tells us multiple times both old testament and new that the just those who have been justified shall live by faith. The Red Sea crossing opened the door. It brought glory to God. And the third, it closed the door. God uh, shut it. You know the wonderful thing about this, guys? And you're going to see this throughout this series with God's people. God made it. Made it. This was a beautiful plan. God made it so his people would not be able to go back the way they came to the place they left. Think about that spiritually. Once they got through that Red Sea that was opened. If you even take out the Egyptians. Let's just... Skip that part for a moment. When God caused that water to come back together and level out. What God was saying was, you know what? You are never, ever, ever going to be able to get back to where you were. The way you came. Believers, let me tell you something awesome. The moment. You and I came to faith in Jesus Christ. The moment we began that relationship, that saving relationship with Christ, 
He did not just put us on a path, a journey of faith with Him. But He also shut the door that you and I will never, ever, ever be able to go back to lostness again. Ever. Ever. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I give them eternal life and no man shall ever be able to pluck them out of my hand. Jesus made sure we knew that once we have eternal life, it is eternal in that it will go forever and ever and ever. Now let me put this caveat in there, okay? Even though God's people could never go back the way they came to the destination they started out in, don't think for a moment that they didn't try. Even though they physically couldn't go back there, they sure went back there in their minds and in their hearts. Even though they were in a different location, even though God got His people out of Egypt, it was a lot more difficult to get Egypt out of His people. The problem was they were new people, but they often reverted back to what they had known and what they were familiar with in Egypt. And you know, there's a tremendous spiritual significance to this. Even though we may be new people, we and we cannot go back to being lost. We can sure visit that place with our mind, can't we? We can sure begin to think like a lost person. We can sure begin to possess these these thoughts in our mind that do not honor God, that are not reflective of his word. We're not clinging to his promise. We begin to think and talk and act like a lost person. We begin to go back and go back with our hearts. Start loving the things of the world rather than loving the things of God. Though I may not ever physically, I cannot physically go back to being the lost person that I was before I was 12 years old. The good news is I'm never going to be able to go back there again. But man, sometimes I try to visit it with my mind and with my heart. And God shut that door. Aren't you thankful, church, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit? Man, I am so thankful that that door that swung wide open to get them on their journey also shut behind them to say, you're not ever going to be able to go back that way again. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch your hand out over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Pastor, we're studying somewhat of a, an Old Testament history lesson. What does that have to do with me today? Several things. Let's just pause here for a moment and tell you three things that really jump out to me about God's people. First, they were rescued or saved 
by the blood of a lamb. Right? Saved by the blood of a lamb. They pass through the waters of the Red Sea and immediately began their journey with God. If the Passover was the conception of this nation, the Red Sea crossing was its birth canal. As believers, as, 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 a, as, as a group of people, believers or not, if you're here this morning, this is not just an account of what happened thousands of years ago. I believe this is a great outline for us this morning. That was a picture to which Christ has fulfilled in himself for us. I want to ask you the very first question this morning. Have you been saved by the blood of the lamb? What a glorious picture that was. A lamb without blemish or spot was to be killed. And the blood of it was to be put on the doorpost, both the horizontal and vertical. And friends, that happened in reality. That Passover was a shadow of the reality that was to come in Jesus Christ, who is, Paul says, our Passover lamb. Jesus is our Passover and he has been slain for us. That's the first and most important question is, have you been saved by the blood of the lamb? The blood allowed the pa- allowed the, the death to pass over them for those of us who have trusted in Christ Jesus realizing that he is perfect and he shed that perfect blood as a substitute for our sinfulness. Second, I want to ask you, have you passed through the waters as a believer? Once, you, once you've been saved, you are saved. The next step of, in the life of a believer of obedience to God is to follow him in believer's baptism. To follow him, to, to have this opportunity to come out to a congregation of people and to say, you know what, Jesus Christ has saved me. I am a new man because of Jesus Christ. I have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And here is the picture of what Jesus did here. Second, have you been baptized? And thirdly, lastly, are you following Jesus Christ today? Are you spending time getting to know this God that loves you and that saved you? Are you reading His Word? Are you coming to a place where you desire the food of the Word that you're setting down and you're eating, you're nourishing yourself through the week on the Word as your roadmap, as your handbook for life, and to read it and to come across something and say, God, am I doing that? God, am I, am I walking in obedience to this Word? What does this passage, what does this verse tell me to do? Because God, I want to live. For you, I want other people to be able to see Jesus in me. I want to be used by you for your glory. Have you been saved? Have you taken that first step of, 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 of obedience and followed the Lord in believers' baptism? And thirdly, are you and I walking in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ? Friends, it is an exciting journey of faith.